This is the Frog for Life podcast. I'm your host, Rob Berline. So if you think uh, you or a loved one has some form of dementia, the first thing to do is to go get help. Uh, Go to your physician, a neurologist. That is the voice of Nancy McClarty, who talks about what it's like to be a caretaker for her husband, Jim, who we met in part two of Rethinking Dementia about his diagnosis with Benzwanger's disease. Nancy will talk about what it's like to be a caretaker for a loved one and the steps you should do if you or a loved one have dementia. Hello, everyone. I am Melissa Austin Weeks, Associate Director for TCU Alumni Relations, and we are here today in the Frog for Life podcast with installment number three of Rethinking Dementia. And I'm really excited um, because today we're going to hear from a caregiver of someone who is living with dementia. So I have with us Dr. Michelle Kimsey, Assistant Professor of Nursing in Harris College of Nursing, and Nancy McLarity, who is a wife nurse and also a caregiver of her husband Jim who is living with Benzwanger's disease a form of dementia and hopefully you all have listened to part one and two of our rethinking dementia in part two Jim shared with us what it's like to travel the journey of being a patient who has been diagnosed with dementia so Michelle I want you to tell us how you and Nancy met okay well, as I shared last on the last podcast, uh, Jim, I met Jim uh, when he volunteered for one of our studies. And when I, after we met, I had him, invited him to see if he would come talk to our students and Nancy came with him. And from that moment on, we had become fast friends. Um, Nancy is a huge advocate and support of not just Jim, but everything we're doing here at TCU. And she is sitting on the, on the board of Rethinking Dementia. So she um, came with the package deal with Jim. So have, we've been very honored to have her with us. Well, I'm glad and I'm glad you're here with us today, Nancy. Thank you for joining us and thank you for being um, open to sharing what it's been like for you as Jim's wife. And, and um, I guess um, on the co-journey and, you know, I, we, we don't know where that's going to going to lead you. Um, So I don't know right now that you're really, would you consider yourself a caregiver right now? Um, Slightly, probably. Um, I do have to, he's, he's fairly independent. um, But as the, the physicians have told him, if anything ever happened to me, he could not at this point live alone because of he doesn't do his medications anymore. Um, there are times, you know, that he would kind of lose what he's supposed to be doing and has to be prompted to, to go back to it. We refer to it as, as squirrels. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, don't let squirrels get you. You need to let's come back and focus on on what you need to do and um, that sort of thing. So um, even minimal things sometimes if he wanted to watch a movie on the DVD player, he may or may not be able to figure out how to do that. Okay. So, um, and that's, that's, a big, that's a big yeah. deal for him as if you all yeah. listen to part two, he, you know, uh, 
was very high functioning before this happened. I mean, you both were nursing executives and in front of the public and all of that. So let's talk about um, what changes did you see in Jim and how did that unfold? Um, initially, I didn't see any changes. He felt them and that's with um, Ben Swanger, it's, it presents a lot differently than say Alzheimer's where in Alzheimer's, the patient may or may not realize something is wrong. Uh, with Benzwanger, the first indication is loss of executive function. So things that he had been doing for years professionally um, suddenly became a lot harder. And he was working a lot of overtime to kind of try to, to make sure that what he was uh, doing was actually correct. Um, he could uh, feel it. I couldn't see it. And um, he would do things like he went to, to the store. I absolutely hate to go to the grocery store. And he would go to the to the grocery store. And one, I think it was, I don't know, some makeup or something that he got for me. And he put it in the pantry rather than putting it in the bathroom. And it really upset him. And I said, he said, this is what I mean. Something's wrong. And I said, I put the peanut butter in the refrigerator this morning. You know, we just, we've got a lot going on. It's not unusual that you would, you know, absentmindedly put something where it doesn't belong. He kept saying something was wrong. He could feel it. Uh, so I told him, go see our family physician, see what he thinks. Um, and the family physician is actually a friend of ours. And so he, he did the, the um, memory test and that sort of thing that, that a, an internist or a family physician would do. He couldn't see anything either. He did say, you know, Jim, you're not 35 anymore, you know, and you're working these long hours. And could it be that it's just a part of normal aging? And Jim said, no. Now, this is different. So the doc said, you know, okay, here's what we're going to do. I want you to keep a journal. And if anything, you know, doesn't seem right, I want you to write it down and email it to me. So we did that for a few months. Um, for us, the turning point, he was um, in Denver uh, on a project at a, at a client site. And three things happened. Uh, all in the span of a week. Uh, one was this particular health system had, I think, four or five hospitals. And he was supposed to be at a meeting at one hospital. He goes to a different hospital and he has people in the car with him. And they said, what are you, man, what are you doing? We're at the wrong, we're at the wrong facility here. And he said, oh, I knew that. It was a test and you all passed. So he would try to kind of cover things up with humor then he was in a meeting, uh, in, in two different meetings, where he was there. He was a big part of the meetings. He didn't remember the meetings. And he took notes, and the notes made no sense to him. He couldn't read his handwriting, nothing. Um, so that was, a, that was an issue for me, um, and that was kind of like, I think you might need to go see somebody else. The big one for me was he was at the Marriott in Denver 
and was going to leave his workout bag until the next week, you know, the shoes and all that kind of stuff in it. And the desk clerk could not understand what he was asking. And so when he was telling me that, the first thing that hit my mind is stroke. Mm-hmm. Um, it does not appear that it was a stroke, uh, but that that triggered the uh, referral to a neurologist. And then the neurologist started the battery of tests that I think took eight or nine months to go through the whole process before we reached a diagnosis. And so um, what was that like for you the day you're sitting in your doc's office and they share this news with you? Um, Shock, um, disbelief. Um, I don't think neither Jim nor I heard anything else that the neurologist said. Um, he, he said Ben Swanger, and of course, Jim and I are both nurses. And we looked at him and said, we don't know what that is. And ironically, our own physician didn't know what that is. It's that rare. And he said, well, it's a form of dementia. And when he said dementia, I don't think we heard anything else. Um, it, it was it was truly just disbelief. We went to the car and of course tears were shed and we just kind of looked at each other like, could this be a mistake? Mm-hmm. And Jim's response through tears was no, I was afraid of this. So I think he knew we still couldn't really see it. Uh, it it's, it's odd the way this particular dementia um, presents itself. Yeah. And I know in, in episode one, Michelle, you kind of explained, um, and for people who maybe haven't listened to part one, could you maybe just explain real briefly that how a lot of times people will just use Alzheimer's as kind of like a blanket term for dementia. And and in this situation, that's not the case. Correct. Um, You think of it more of an umbrella term as dementia. Um, That's kind of the overarching uh, syndrome, so to speak. And then there are different types that, you know, so there's an Alzheimer's type dementia, vascular, there's over a hundred types, but these are the most common in frontotemporal, and gems falls under vascular, but it is a rare one. But so they're not, they're not the same. So Alzheimer's is not the same as Ben's is not the same as um, frontotemporal. They're all different types of dementia. And are they treated the same? No. And actually they, they present differently. Actually, you know, a lot of them, they present differently. Um, so it makes it very um, difficult. Right. And so the, the treatment that Jim is undergoing and his medications would be different than someone who has Alzheimer's or is there some overlap? There's, there are some overlaps. So the medication mm-hmm. that Jim is on, some people who have Alzheimer's type um, take that. Okay. All right. So how long, um, Nancy, did you and Jim kind of process this news before you shared it with your fam, your children and your friends? And then Walk us through what that was like to share that with them. Um, We probably four or five days after the diagnosis, we uh, talked to our children 
And, you know, again, shock, disbelief. I was thinking about this over the weekend. It really, the stages are really like Kubler-Ross's stages of grieving. And so everybody moves through them at different speeds, um, especially the denial because they couldn't see it. Mm-hmm. Um, many times in Alzheimer's, the speech is one of the first things affected. In Benzwanger, it's the most resistant to change. Um, so we would get comments as, as we shared it with, with friends. Jim was, initially, he didn't want people to know. It was almost like he felt like he had done something wrong, and that's why he had dementia. And I kept telling him, but that's not the case. It, it, you know, it's, it's an illness. And he was particularly worried about what people thought. And I said, if they're, if they're in your corner, they're going to understand this. And otherwise, why are you worried about it? Um, the thing that Jim would hear the most was, um, well, you don't look like you have dementia. You don't sound like you have dementia. You don't act like you have dementia. And at first, you know, he... Um, it, it was, he, he looked at it as you don't think there's anything really wrong. And he didn't want people to think that he was making it up. Um, and he, so he kind of covered it up for a while. Um, but then as he became more open, to, you know, and telling people, if someone said, um, you don't sound like you have dementia. He now says to them, well, what does that sound like to you? What does dementia sound like? Because you know, you wouldn't look at somebody with cancer and go, well, you don't look like you have cancer. So why would you say that to someone with dementia? Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, yeah. He was very concerned that he would be um, looked at as malingering, that there was really nothing wrong with him. And in fact, when he told his bosses at work, they were stunned. They said, we don't see any of that. And he said, that's because I'm working 16 hours a day, so you don't see it. And, um, you know, it, it, it was a, I think that's where the malingering thing for him came in. He was really worried about it. But um, as, as the disease has progressed, we all come to acceptance because we can see it. Uh, we don't like it, but we can see that he is changing. So we kind of all moved through the stages of grieving at different speeds. How exhausting to be a patient with Benzwangers or some form of dementia. And not only are you working hard so that no one sees it, but you're also having to live with the disease. I mean, I could just mm-hmm. imagine that he would just be wiped out at night when he would get home of all, you know, trying to keep everything so secret. Yeah, he, he was. And, and I think, um, you know, once he was diagnosed and he could no longer work, um, he tried to do a lot with the church, which he did uh, a lot of volunteer work and that sort of thing. Um, And, they were very accepting of 
well, you have this disease, but let's see what God can use you for in the realm of the disease. And so um, that's kind of how he's, he was very active in the nursing home ministry uh, until the pandemic. Yeah. And he's lost a lot of ground since then. He couldn't, um, he couldn't do that now because he can't remember, sometimes can't remember people's names. Yeah. Okay. So we have a period of time where we're kind of, you know, um, sheltering at home because we're, we're not sure how we're going to traverse this. Jim may not want to share with people. You're grieving. You've told your children. So now it's kind of like, okay, now we need to face this and we're going to just put our armor up and we're just going to, you know, push forward. You've, you've shared with me, you're German. And so you're just like, I have got my swords out and we're just going to slay this demon. All right. So you're faced with this diagnosis. I want you to share with listeners what they must do if their loved one has dementia in terms of everything, legal, financial, health, you know, what needs to be done? Um, Well, I think the first thing is to try to preserve the function that's there. So if you think uh, you or a loved one has some form of dementia, the first thing to do is to go get help. Uh, Go to your physician, a neurologist, whatever. There are medications that that are helpful. Jim wears, um, it's it's called uh, an Exelon patch. It's a transdermal patch. It's a third generation Aricept um, that helps the synapses in the brain function better. And if he forgets that patch, boy, can we tell it. So um, it does not reverse the brain damage, but it helps mitigate the uh, results and uh, of the brain damage. So it helps him be able to follow conversations better and that sort of thing. But you must get the help first. You know, if you think there's something wrong, don't be afraid of it. Go get go get the help because the sooner you're on the medications, the uh, better the the help it will offer. Um, and then a, a healthy lifestyle, they they need to get the right amount of sleep and that kind of thing. I mean, if I'm really tired, I don't process as well and I don't have dementia. So if I have dementia and I'm not getting the sleep I need, that makes it about a hundred times worse for them trying to process and follow conversations and that sort of thing. Uh, from a financial standpoint, we had always shared responsibility. Um, like I would always do the blasted bank statement. <laughs> and then Jim would Jim would work with the investments, but we both could do it. We could switch off if we needed to. At this point, I'm doing everything financially. He doesn't trust himself to do it. Um, and he probably shouldn't trust himself to do it. Um, we have a wonderful financial uh, advisor that understands Jim's illness. And we, I have private conversations with him at times just because Jim's not tracking well or, or whatever. But then like Friday, we had an hour long conversation with him and it was both of us. So I try to include him, but I'm the decision maker as far as keeping up with stuff. 
Um, he has certainly has input, but there are times I look at him and go, mm, I don't think so. We need to think about this. Um, and, and he usually goes, oh, yeah, you're right. So um, from a uh, backtracking to, a, to the health, um, we actually, I had started this with my parents just because it was easier for them when they went to the doctor. I had laid out uh, on a document, on, my, uh, on a Word document, their medications and their medical history. And I printed them off several copies and they had them in a file at their house. Well, I got to think about that and I thought, well, we ought to do that. So I did it for Jim and me. And that was before he was diagnosed. And now for sure, the medical history and the meds, we take a copy of that every time we go to the doctor. Um, because they're going to ask you about it. It's just easier to hand them the med list and you might forget something. So um, strongly urge anybody with or without dementia, do a med list in your medical history and take it every time you go to the doctor. That's smart. Um, Even if you just took pictures of your prescription bottles, you know? Yep. Yeah. You could do that as well. Um, from a legal perspective, we um, uh, were able to, through a connection Jim had, uh, at the Alzheimer's Association, we were able to work with a, an attorney here in Fort Worth that has a, a passion for people with dementia. And I'm, I want to say it's her grandfather that had dementia. And so she was very clear that we have to look at things that need to be in place legally above ground and below ground. So below ground is your will or trust. Um, if you go that route, above ground is you need to have a medical power of attorney, a durable power of attorney, and guardianship, as well as advanced directives. What are the wishes of the person living with dementia uh, that when they get to the point that they cannot make their decisions, <clears throat> what is it that they want done for them? medically, done or not done, uh, medically. So um, we met with her and um, so on the durable power of attorney, when we were going through the document and at the time that we had done it, the first time was in 2014, I think. So it was pre-diagnosis. So Jim and I were each other's durable power of attorney. This time she looked at him and said, you can't do that. Pick somebody else. Mm. And so we already had, you know, we had who we knew was, was going to do everything, you know, in a, in a hierarchical manner of first this person, then this person, and that sort of thing. Um, and we got those in place quickly. One thing that we had, not this attorney, but uh, another attorney tell us, was once you do the durable power of attorney, that covers everything you need to do with Social Security and Medicare. That is not true. I don't care what they tell you. It's not true. And thank goodness we found that out um, because of my mother having a stroke. We found that out 
while Jim is still um, competent to say, Nancy, it needs to be my, it's called a representative payee with uh, Social Security. And you have to go through a process with them that took us about six months because, you know, and that was pre-pandemic um, to where I can take care of his Medicare and his uh, Social Security um, issues, if there are any. And um, if we hadn't done that, we would have been in a world of hurt. So um, that's of everything that's, if you've got a parent or a spouse or whomever that you are um, a guardian or, or helping them, the representative payee is what is needed to be able to make decisions with Social Security and Medicare. And you can person. and you can get that information on the Social Security uh, website. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, so, and the other thing you can do is they were very helpful. The office here in Fort Worth was very helpful. Uh, they walked me through it, what I needed to do, and um, of course it's the government, so there's forms, and you have to to produce certain things and. They do have to be careful because the representative payee now has access to that person's social security. So um, it was easier for us, I think, because I'm the wife. If I was not related to him, that would be different. And right. I think it would be more difficult and more time consuming. So I guess time is of the essence on all of this. So really, you need to do all the things you just shared as soon as you're given that diagnosis. Wow. Yes. So you're, you know, Jim is, you, you and Jim are really fortunate that you have each other, you, that he has you, let's just say what it is, you know, he's got you as his advocate, um, as his overseer, but did you know to do all these things because you found this information at the Alzheimer's Association or that attorney told you to do it? Or how did you, you knew about the social security because you've gone through that with your mother? Well, so what, like what how, like how does someone find out all the things you just said? Is there a list somewhere? Uh, no, there's not. And then there should be, and I'm happy to share that with anyone. Um, we had done the trust documents. Um, actually, we probably started doing that about the middle, like probably 2005. And then we had to update them when we moved from Atlanta to Texas because they have to be in the state of residence. Mm. And so we we did them here. And when my mother had a stroke, I talked to the attorney and I said, now, you know, this came down to selling her house and all of that kind of thing. And the house was in the trust. And, and um, he said, you know, yeah, you've got her durable power of attorney you can sign to, to sell the house because her she knew what we were doing. She agreed with it, but her stroke affected her ability of cognition and writing. So I said, you know, I'm going to have to sign the papers for you if that's okay. She said, yeah, please. And we found out from the title company, uh, and this is something else to think about, if the house is in a trust, you better be a co-trustee because if you're not, they won't close. Mm. So we were 
were scrambling when our house kind of sold out from under us. Uh, we didn't think it would go in a day. And uh, I, the title company called and they were, it was like mother was going to have to sign her signature 20 something times. I said, she can't do that. She just physically can't. And they said, well, are you a co-trustee? And I said, I'm a successor trustee. And they said, mm -mm, if she's still living, you have to be co-trustee. So I guess there's a lot of legal ins and outs that, you know, it, it, that we've kind of found out the hard way. And I'm happy to share that with people. Okay. Wow. That's very overwhelming. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you kind of knew to some degree what you were doing. The average person, I wouldn't know what to do. So. That's, you know, can you, can you see a theme here, Michelle? There's just so, you know, you, you've just been told your husband has a form of dementia, a rare form of dementia. And now you've got to like do all, I mean, I would just, I don't, I would just probably sit down in a big pile and cry because I wouldn't know what to do. So anyway, um, okay. Support groups. Um, mm -hmm. I can imagine, I mean, I know there's the Alzheimer's association. I think most people are familiar with them. But I can imagine since Jim has a rare form of dementia, the Benzwangers we've been talking about, which is not the same as Alzheimer's. Did right. you feel kind of like you were on an island without any support? Um, initially, yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we did. Um, I will say when uh, Jim connected with Michelle through that research study that um, Things just opened up for us. I, I, Michelle's been a godsend. Her family's been a godsend. We've become just friends with a common bond, and that bond is Jim. And um, they have been uh, so understanding of his, of his, you know, the the dementia effects that are there, and. Um, uh, the I, we've had we've got other friends that are very understanding my uh i have a friend that i went to nursing school with that's out in california that um you know she she and jim went to antarctica together because they they wanted to go i wanted to go because of shenanigans i you know but <laughs> um i i was unable to go because of my mom at that point in time if something had happened with her um they couldn't get me out to get back and um so I made the decision not to go and they weren't going to go and I said no go ahead and go you need to go while you can and Jan stepped in and she said I promise you she had old notebooks wrote down everything I said she said he will be fine I will make sure of it and they got cabins across the hall from each other and you know, she, she helped uh, manage that. So that was a godsend that was on his bucket list and hers. And so she's been a very strong support. And we have other friends uh, that have been strong supports as well. But I, I would say Michelle and her family and Jan and um, uh, people from church and the purpose of being able to help advocate, <clears throat> excuse me, advocate and educate um, 
we both feel like is is something God expects of us because he left Jim with his with his voice. Yeah. And that's what he should be doing with it. What are there any uh, are are there any statistics Michelle are are there other patients in this area that have Benzwangers? Is there some in fact, um, I have never met anybody else with Benzwangers, and I had an expert here talking um, last week to the, the students, and she had never met anybody besides Jim. So it is very rare. So I know Jim and has searched, you know, to see, you know, to try to find out what somebody else living with Benzwangers looks like. And he has a hard time finding somebody who, who actually is. It's very rare. Wow. It's, it's what, what did you say, Nancy? Less than 2% of Less than 2%. people living with dementia. And I will say his, Benzwanger has such a weird presentation. I mean, there's like an MS type component to it and uh, just weird stuff. But the NIH and Mayo Clinic and Cleveland Clinic all have sites if you just Google Benzwanger. When when Jim was diagnosed and after I kind of got over the shock, I looked at the NIH at their website and put in Ben Swinger and I swear Jim's picture should have been next to it. I read those symptoms and it's like, oh my gosh, that's him. That's him. So um, I think that there's more out there now. Uh, there's, not, there's a lot on Alzheimer's. Not so much on like Lewy body and and probably more Lewy body next to Alzheimer's, and, but then the rest of the dementias. There's Parkinson's dementia. There's all that. There's not that much out there. Hmm. Wow. All right. So um, a couple of more questions. Uh, I kind of want to go back, and this may be a question for Michelle. So Nancy, you were you know you were or I guess I should say Jim was totally on board and trusted you with taking over things that normally he would do. And I know we have, we've heard from um, children or caregivers that have said, I can't, my, my mom is really resistant. She will not let go of that checkbook. And we're worried her money's gonna disappear to the next scammer. So Michelle, what do you do when a patient, like what would your suggestion be when family members are really having a hard time with pushback from their parent or their spouse? That's an excellent question. And you see it a lot of times too, not just financially, but with driving, you yeah. know, trying to pull those keys. Um, well, you're going to meet resistance with, you know, it's one of those, you've met one person with dementia, you've met one person. So Jim's personality is different mm -hmm. than other yeah. people's. And, you know, with that personality is a piece of this, you have to get some help, meaning, you're not going to be the bad guy, but maybe if they heard it from a physician or, um, you know, the DMV, or if it's driving somebody outside of your family, because I feel like that's where that stress and that conflict come in, which, you know, re you know, relationships are at stake here. And sometimes people, if they hear it from somebody else, it's more likely to happen. Now, there's also going to be times you got to get really creative and you're going to try and you'll talk to people, try everything. But this is where support, you know, talking to other people who are going through this, they may have tried some other way. But you really do need to pull somebody else in on that to, to help you. 
Yeah, I know with my mother, uh, after she had her stroke, still wanted to drive, and I didn't think that was a good idea. She didn't agree. So I, uh, we went to the doctor for one of her regular appointments, but I sent a note with the nurse. The nurse gave it to the doctor so that when we came into the room, the doctor already knew secretly that we were there to say, no more driving, it's not a good idea. And so when when the doctor presented it to my mother, my mother was like, oh, okay, well, I guess I'm going to be giving my keys back to Melissa when we get home. And that's what happened. So, mm-hmm. you know, um, that that was just how it worked for us. But I sometimes, you know, you just got to find your got to find a way. Right. And, I would, and I would think going to those the Alzheimer's support groups too, and meet other children or spouses that are going through what you're going through it and it it makes it not so hard because it's like oh I thought I was the only one that was going through that problem right Jim still drives he has a vehicle that has all of the safety bells and whistles and and we've got them all set to to go off and and he uses the GPS all the time and I also at least once a week walk around his car looking for dents, for scratches, for unexplained things. And if I ever start seeing those, it's going to be okay. You need to be heard. That's a really great tip. Yeah. I think with him, I won't have a problem. I didn't have a problem with my mom after her stroke either. Yeah. Uh, But, but he, he said, I want to be the one to hand you the keys. It's going to be extremely difficult, but I don't want to fight you on this. And I said, oh, thank you. I appreciate that. And, <laughs> you know, as far as stuff around the house, he, um, on his medications, for a nurse, one of the basic things you learn first year is how to do medications, how to do pills and that sort of thing. And I would watch him because we would do ours a week at a time. And he would just, it would take him forever. You could tell he was just burning his brain up trying to do the medications and then get frustrated if he couldn't do them right. I was always double checking them. And usually there was at least one med that wasn't right. And so I finally just said to him, I said, you know, if you want to keep doing it, that's fine. I'll double check it. But it sure seems like you're you're, you know, you're getting frustrated, you're using, uh, you have so much energy, and then that's all you have, and for the day, and you're expending a tremendous amount of energy trying to get your brain cells to connect to be able to do your medications, so if you want, I'll, I'll start doing your meds, and you can conserve that energy, and he thought about it for about an hour, and he came back, and he said, yeah, can you take it over? And I said, yes. So, but again, as Michelle said, personalities, you know, are, are, are different. And um, I think uh, his personality is such that he does not, he, he trusts me to not do something that's not in his best interest. Yeah. So I could see where as a, a, a child of a parent with, with some form of dementia, if I went to a support group and I heard some examples 
from other people, like the note to the doctor and what you just said with, you know, hey, have you thought about instead of, you know, being really super confrontational, then I think children could take that stuff back and try it out and see if, you know, because like you said, Michelle, everyone's different. So everyone's mm -hmm. going to receive suggestions differently. So it's trial and error to see what works best. I know kind of the approach I always did with my parents to kind of diffuse situations that could kind of escalate was I don't know what it's like to be in your situation and I can imagine it's really hard to lose friends and you don't recognize yourself in the mirror when you look at yourself but I'm here to make sure you're safe and I want to do what I can to to make you know make you comfortable and make life easy for you so anyway all right let's finish with a couple of things Nancy tell me what the the you know there's so many negatives to this conversation about Jim's diagnosis but what has been some positives that have come out of it um I think you well the biggest positive is Michelle and her family I, I'm I'm serious and the um the platform that through Michelle has been offered to educate and to advocate. And um, in July, um, Michelle and Jim did a, a presentation at our church on um, dementia, a, a workshop. And it was at 10 o'clock on a Thursday morning. And so all of us are thinking, oh, wow, we'll be lucky to get 30 people. There were 150 people there. That's great. There was such a need. And then repeating the same thing at a church at Colleyville uh, on the 30th of September. So, you know, for the longest time, I think people looked at dementia as, oh, that's crazy Aunt Betty. And she's, you know, just it's senility. It's just crazy. And it's not. And I think I don't. I'm going out on a limb here. I think it's approaching epidemic proportions. And I think as we continue to age, it's people are not going to just make the, well, that's just senility. There could be something really wrong. And, and if you get the treatment started early, um, it, it actually um, helps slow down the process nothing cures it it is a it's an illness that you know is never going to be cured with the current medications um but you can get they can slow it down um but if you if you wait then those brain cells that have been damaged don't repair themselves so you want the medication to stop the brain damage. Um, I think the fact that, um, you know, the, the support group, you asked earlier about a support group, there's not a formal support group. So we've just kind of formed our own mm -hmm. uh, with, with friends that understand and, and accept when there's, you know, there's probably less than 10 that understand it totally um, or have gone to the um, trouble to understand it. 
one of our closest sets of friends, they attended and they were sitting in the front row uh, of the um, presentation that, that Jim and Michelle did. They came so they could understand better what Jim is going through and how to talk to him and how to, to help him as, and, and me as much as possible. That's why they came. So I think learning who your true friends are, everybody's got lots of acquaintances, who are your true friends? And then for us to be able to advocate and educate um, folks has been um, probably the, the best thing that's come out of it. That's a God, great- God has a plan. It's not ours to understand the plan necessarily. I always say I'm going to ask him when I get to heaven. When I get to heaven, I won't care. Um, but um, he, we know he is in control. And our job is to do what he expects us to do with what he is given us. You gave a really great tip that I had not even thought about is that, um, you know, when you've been diagnosed with a form of dementia, and obviously it's Benzwangers is so rare that it's not mm-hmm. likely we're going to meet anybody in our lifetime that has that. But let's say, for example, my husband was diagnosed with Alzheimer's and I could say to my my really close circle of friends, hey, would you go with me sometime to one of my support groups? Because I want you because I think a lot of times it's fear. It is. And if you could diffuse that fear and see, you know, get comfortable in that. And I think fear goes away once you educate yourself. And hey, if you could go with me, I wouldn't have to go by myself and we could go out to dinner afterward and kind of talk about what you heard. I mean, and all of this involves using your voice. And I think that sometimes that's the hardest thing for people is to ask for help, use your voice and get help. Well, and I think the the fear thing that you touched on, part of it is fear of, I don't want to say something wrong to this person and maybe precipitate a crisis. But the other fear is, ooh, I might have an issue. And that that fear is, is overwhelming yeah. for a lot of people. Sure. They would rather stick their head in the sand than admit that there's a problem. Yeah. But it, it'll go you have up. to diagnose the problem to be able to work on it. Right. Okay. So let's wrap up with maybe two or three things that knowing what you know now. Because this was you were he was diagnosed in 2016. 15. 15. Mm-hmm. Knowing what you know now, what are three just real two or three real simple things you'd say you've got to do this? You know, like someone's listening to this and, and is like, I don't know what I what what should I do? Um, if you think there's an issue, make an appointment with a physician and start ruling stuff out. I will tell you it took them nine months. Because basically you rule out everything else. And then what you're left with is the dimension is just what type. Mm -hmm. So it took a long time to do that. Um, Make an appointment, get a referral to a neurologist, um, get your financial affairs, make sure. So, um, and, and this is, I'm not an attorney, so you would have to ask an attorney, but we have always, all of our finances have been in both of our names with uh, uh, joint 
trust with rights of survivorship. But so we had an attorney tell us years ago, if you put on a bank account or any investment, Jim and Nancy McClarty, then that requires both of you. If you do Jim or Nancy, then the caregiver can just keep going without um, having to um, uh, totally open new accounts or do whatever. That I would think would depend on the bank and that sort of thing. But I would, if you, if your spouse or someone that you are responsible for their uh, finances, you need to make sure that as they decline, because they will decline, as they decline, can you step into their stead and start writing checks for them or whatever? You have to have that all set up. So that's both financial and legal that okay. you have to have that all set up. Okay. So as soon as you get the diet, well, as soon as you, if you start to think something's not right with either you yourself as the patient or, or a loved one, make an mm -hmm. appointment. Cause as you said, it could take months to get results and all the tests. Mm -hmm. And then secondly, if you're diagnosed with it, you need to bring in legal and financial assistance, get all that in order. Um, and I probably would add the third thing is, is get a support team around you. And the, I think probably one of the most important things is you've got to do all of this, but at the same time, allow yourself time to grieve. Yeah. Because for us, I mean, this is not how we, uh, so for Jim, it was very difficult because retirement was foisted on him. He had no choice because of the disease. The disease. Uh, he recognized that and he said, I can't do this. This is not fair to the client to do this. Um, but this is not how we envisioned retirement. Right. So you have to give yourself time to grieve, but then you can't just wallow in it. You got to have a plan and you got to move forward with it. Great advice. Nancy, thank you so much for your time today. Um, you know, we said when we planned this, that if just one person listened to your words today and it made a difference, that's, we've done our job. You've done your job of being an advocate and a voice for Jim and this disease. So I thank you and I thank Dr. Michelle Kimsey for joining us today. And please everyone, um, in a, I, has your website launched? Dr. Kimsey, the Rethinking Dementia? By the end of the month. Okay, by the end of the month. So it's rethinkingdementia.tcu.edu. Um, Dr. Kimsey could use support in terms of volunteers. Um, if you're struggling, it's going to be a one-stop shop to figure out what do I do? How do I navigate this? And find, you need financial support because you're not supported by the university. This is completely... Um, donor based. So if you have an interest in um, dementia research, if you have a company that um, is philanthropic, you know, to please get in touch with you. And I, I know your, your email address is m.kimzy, K-I-M-Z as in zebra, E-Y, at tcu.edu. And also people could reach out to you if they want you to come speak at their church or their community. So absolutely. And I, I can bring Jim and Nancy with me. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and I would say if anybody has has questions, they could get in touch with me through 
uh, rethinking dementia or, or Dr. Kimsey. I'm okay. happy to. Perfect. We love that. Okay. We're going to sign off for today. Be sure to listen to episodes one and two to get caught up. And um, thank you everyone for listening. We appreciate you listening to the Fraud for Life podcast. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Frog for Life podcast. If you or a friend or family member would like to get in touch with us to share your story, please contact us on social media on Twitter and Instagram at TCU Alumni. We look forward to sharing our next story of how TCU alumni are changing the world.